love is something that's available and accessible all the time. It's not dependent on the physicality. That's why you can be across the street or across the country or across the globe from someone that you love and still access your love for that person. So the more you can help your child get that she's inside of you and you're inside of her, the more it will help her separate from you. Welcome to Atomic Moms, a weekly parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our little ones and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and I celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts, and caregivers all over the world in order to share their unique stories and the universal experience of raising a child. You can find us on our website, AtomicMoms.com, on social media, and also on iTunes. Subscribe so you can get a new episode every week. Today, we are wondering, does your kid freak out when you leave? No? Okay. How about your dog? Uh, how about yourself? We've been binge-watching Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood on the plane, and my almost three-year-old Sabrina, she's so cute, she wears these adorable little frog headphones that are for volume control, and of course, the plane's so loud that she can barely hear her show, so she just spends most of the flight screaming about she can't hear her show. Uh, but... She'll start singing at the top of her lungs, and uh, it goes something like this. Even when they go away, grown-ups come back. I mean, I think I should be hired for Daniel Tiger. Uh, today, we have – I'll call her a baby whisperer. Uh, I will just take – you know, it's it's my show. I can call her a baby whisperer if I want to. Uh, Jennifer Waldberger is back on the show today for the second part of our separation anxiety series. What? You haven't listened to part one yet? Fear not. You can find part one in our archives on iTunes and listen once we're through here. So keep listening. In this episode, we're going to talk about the neurological response that happens when separation anxiety kicks in. We're going to talk about the spiritual side. Uh, when it comes to separation anxiety. And you know I love talking about family legacy. So we're also going to give you some good tricks, uh, give you a couple tricks to keep up your sleeve. Is that a phrase? Uh, for when you need to leave your child. Uh, so I'm going to read uh, Jen's bio here. She did such a lovely job with it. Why reinvent the wheel? Excuse me while I put on my bio voice. Jennifer Waldberger. MSW, has been working with children and families for more than 20 years, offering private sessions and classes that incorporate mindfulness and holistic practices, co-founder of Sleepy Planet Parenting and co-director of Mindfulness at Stephen S. Wise School in Los Angeles, Jennifer has co-authored two books, The Sleep Easy Solution and Calm Mama Happy Baby. She's been featured in a wide variety of media, including Good Morning America, The Today Show, The New York Times, People, Parenting, um, hello, Atomic Moms. Got to add that in there, Jennifer. Uh, Jen, uh, Jen's passion is to help families to create a loving, peaceful environment in which both kids and parents can thrive. My husband and I, oh my God. So we just got home from a trip with our daughter and we are trying to organize a little trip, uh, for Labor Day weekend. Uh, a dear friend of ours is having his birthday in another state and so we're trying to figure out how we can leave our daughter with a sitter. Um, and it's totally brutal not living in the same state as your family. And I don't know if we can do it. Um, I know that I can handle the – I know she'll be totally fine. 
It's just the like, how can I handle leaving her? Um, the fear that I can't get to her if I need to. I just feel like maybe my husband will go by himself. Okay. Write on our Facebook page, Atomic Moms, uh, and tell me how do you handle this? You mamas out there that don't live in the same state as your families, how do you handle this? Uh, I also want to know how do you handle separation anxiety in general? I want you to vent and share away. Uh, a lot of you guys are starting preschool up in the next few weeks. I want to hear how it goes. Uh, so write on our Facebook page. And as always, go to AtomicMoms.com for show notes. Mwah. We'll be right back. Okay, so we are back with Jennifer Waldberger. This is part two in our separation anxiety series because there was so much that we didn't get to the first time. This is such a huge, loaded topic. So, Jen, what are the steps for, you know, healthy separation? Okay, so let's just use the example of you're leaving the house. I would say that you want to give your child a heads up a couple minutes um, in advance of leaving that you're going to be leaving. So you give them, you know, a, a warning that that's happening. So it's not sudden to them so that you're communicating that clearly and have every expectation that the leaving will go just fine. Unless you have reason to believe otherwise, unless you know, your child is going through something. If they then have a big emotional, you know, um, reaction to your actual leaving, then what you can do is come to your child, get down on her level, maybe use touch, maybe eye contact. That's something you can read and engage in the moment. And you can say to her something like, honey, I can see that it's really hard for you that mommy's leaving right now. And I see that you have a lot of big feelings about this. And even though I still have to go, I want you to know that I'm listening to all of your feelings and I hear all of your feelings about this. So that way your child feels like even though this inevitable thing has to happen, you're not disconnecting from her, that you're allowing her. So it's a both and, you know, yes, you're going, you may have your own feelings too, and your child may, and all of that's okay. All of that can coexist at the same time. So that's actually part of how she will then hold on to you internally after you do go, because you've spent that extra, you know, 30 seconds or minute or whatever it is, just acknowledging and connecting on her feelings. You know, if you are confident that your child is with an amazing caregiver and you leave and your child continues to cry and will not stop, what do you do? So that is something very different. You know, that's a child who's clearly in distress. And again, what I would be looking at is, is there something in this child's life going on um, that is causing an unusual amount of emotion, um, you know, either a developmental thing for her or a situational thing in life that's, that's happening 
Um, and if so, then I would probably try to, you know, not leave that child with, with a caregiver alone, because clearly she's signaling, I can't do this, you guys. I, I, this is too much for me. How does temperament come into play there? Yeah. So that's another important thing. So temperament does matter. And, you know, if you have other mom friends, you know, you can, you can have other mom friends where you all have kids the same age and, you know, you can have so many different presentations, you know, of personality and development and all kinds of things. Or if you have more than one child, you can see same DNA, same household, same parents, two very different people. So some kids are more sensitive and they uh, tend to feel feelings very deeply and very strongly. But again, a child who's in a, a secure relationship and who, you know, is able to, to regulate her feelings well, um, even if she, you know, draws on your love and support through that regulation should be able to recover within at most 10 or 15 minutes from a separation. If she's not recovering, there's either something circumstantial going on in that child's life, or there's something else going on in the relationship with that child where she isn't able to self-regulate. And that's really something to work on. So that could be a flag for you as the parent that either you've been way too close and hovering on top of her and never allowing her to feel any discomfort or pain or struggle or anything like that, because you're always smoothing things over for her, comforting her. So she doesn't have the ability to do that for herself. Or um, maybe you're too far away emotionally Um, for some moms. And again, this isn't something that people usually feel comfortable talking about, but some moms have, even though you love your child, it's very difficult to be intimate and, and close with your child. It can bring up a lot of pain for you if you had a childhood experience filled with pain and closeness, you know, wasn't something available to you or closeness was painful to you. So, um, again, those are those are things that you want to take a deeper look at. But can you give me like a, a little bit more of a like paint me a picture of you know, what, what that might look like in terms of, um, I mean, is it something that you've experienced yourself or I have you know, not, give me a little bit more detail? Um, okay. I have not experienced it, but I know that I have friends where like they can't even go to dinner, um, because okay. Okay. it's so, uh, overwhelming or they just, they're, they're terrified that it's going to cause psychological damage to their kid because the kid won't stop crying. And then they feel selfish that they're even going to dinner. And then they're wondering what they did wrong. And then it becomes this huge, uh, the feedback loop of like, my kid is stressed out. Now I'm stressed out now, you know, and it becomes a huge mess. Got it. Okay. So this is really important. And this does kind of touch on something that you mentioned a little bit earlier in our conversation, which is the tone and the vibe, if you want, that the parent is setting in the parent-child relationship. So again, if it's not circumstantial and it's not situational, that that child's going through something in life that's unusually hard for her, and this is more of a pervasive pattern. And really fast. I feel like Uh, there's a developmental stage like every week when a child is under two. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
No, well, yes. And so, you know, that's largely because the big developmental task that's happening, um, especially between say like, you know, 12 months and three years is ego is, is coming online. The child's mm-hmm. ego self is developing and there's this constant push pull between um, me and mine and, you know, possessiveness and ownership and, and establishing that sense of self and connection. So there's a lot more that we could, you know, say about that. But again, if you're looking at how separation goes in the relationship, there's no sort of developmental milestone that I would say um, would cause an ongoing pattern of, you know, an hour or more of crying upon separation. That seems to me to be more of a pattern that you're describing in the relationship. And part of that might be the parent's um, misguided uh, impression that, that, you know, being away from my child is, is harmful to her or, you know, that I really should be with her because she needs me all the time. And so if you are sitting at dinner holding those kinds of thoughts, you know, like, oh my God, I'm, I should be with her and, you know, what's she doing right now? And she needs me and I'm not there for her. You know, those, those kinds of loops that can come, um, then it does become sort of cyclical between you. She will agree with you. And then, you know, she'll, she'll show you that she is in distress, which will reinforce the idea that she does need you and you're not there in the whole thing. So, um, you know, I'm not saying at all that it's not very real that this happens for some people. It's, it can be, you know, devastating and heartbreaking as a parent. And you're not always necessarily sitting at dinner holding the thought of, oh my God, I shouldn't be at dinner and I should be with her. But what that child needs, again, if it's not circumstantial, what that child needs help with in a more pervasive sense is regulating her feelings. And that parent may need some coaching about how to help a child do that in a way that offers love and support without doing for her what she needs to do. So your idea as a parent that your child has an inherent competency, that she has an inherent capability of feeling disappointed feelings, sad feelings, when you separate and recovering from them is really important to her ability to do it. If you believe she can't, then she won't. If you believe she can and you know she can, then she's exponentially more likely to do that. But you, as the parent in that equation, may need some assistance yourself in finding that uh, a more balanced way to help your child self-regulate. Can you talk to us about the neurological response our children have during separation anxiety. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think it's important to acknowledge that you yourself may have a a bit of a neurological response to (laughs) to separating. So um, it can come up on both sides of the equation, but to the part of the brain that is very much focused on survival, which is the most primitive part of the brain, separation can feel very distressing because if you are relying on the person that you're separating from for your sense of safety, then it's going to kick this neurological fight, flight, freeze response in. 
So if you have a child of any age who tends to get very irritable and cranky or create a lot of conflict with you around separation, whether you're leaving for work or you're dropping off at school or something like that, that's a neurological fight response. If you have a child who um, starts to get very anxious, you know, and, and clearly runs a lot of anxiety, that's more of a, a, a flight response. Some kids, some people actually go numb. They start to check out, they disengage, they may withdraw. Now that can also be a, a flight response, but a, a sense of, of numbness or um, kind of, you know, not feeling as in touch with your emotions. That's me, flat. man. I go numb. I totally dissociate. Okay. Okay. So that's a freeze response. So to your brain, there's something really traumatic about separating and you're going into a protective survival mode in order to withstand that. So that's really good to know as the parent where you are on, you know, that spectrum so that you can attend to yourself as well as your child. You're in the camp that you tell a child when you're leaving, right? Like, or if, if a kid's going to take a nap and then she's going to wake up and the sitter's there or grandma's there, do you tell the child before she takes her nap? Do you lay it all out for her? When do you surprise them? And when do you give them a heads up? (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of open, clear, direct, honest communication in all relationships, including the parent-child relationship. So um, I think that it really helps orient a child to what's going on. I think it's respectful. Um, I even advocate doing this at a very young age, even with babies, which some people would say is crazy because the baby can't understand what you're saying. But I think it's very respectful to communicate what's happening um, and why in a general sense, you don't have to write a novel and, you know, every nap, <laughs> but, um, but to give that child a heads up and certainly to let them know if there's, if there's going to be a separation where you're leaving the house and especially for a verbal child who, um, you know, there, there can be a, a temptation. I think when you have a child who does have a big spike of feelings upon separation that you do sneak out. And I understand where that temptation comes from because it seems like you just avoid the whole mess. But um, really what that experience is for the child is I was aware that my mommy was over there somewhere. I looked up to find her and she was gone. And so what that then does is create a sense to that child of my mommy can disappear on me. So guess what's going to happen next? That child's going to become extremely hypervigilant about your whereabouts yeah. because she believes you're going to disappear and she better keep her eye on you. So yes, communicate. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of other things that you can do, especially if you have a child who has a strong you know, emotional reaction when you're leaving. I'm a, a big fan of uh, a goodbye ritual for a child like that. What a child like that really needs is a deep, deep understanding of even when my body and my parents' body are in different places, even when I can't see your physicality, my mommy is always in my heart and I am always in my mommy's heart. My daddy is always in my heart and I'm always in my daddy's heart. So love is something that's available and accessible all the time. 
it's not dependent on the physicality. That's why you can be across the street or across the country or across the globe from someone that you love and still access your love for that person. So the more you can help your child get that she's inside of you and you're inside of her, the more it will help her separate from you. So you can say those words to her. You can um, do something. There's a, there's a beautiful book called The Kissing Hand by Audrey Penn, which is actually about separating for preschool. But you put a kiss in the child's palm of their hand and you curl the fingers around the kiss and you say, you need a kiss from mommy. Open your hand and put it on your cheek. You can, if your child's into stickers, you can get a sticker and you put one heart sticker on your child's hand and one on your hand. You can use a non-toxic, you know, rubber stamp ink pad and do that. You can you could get, get matching tattoos. Friendships. I'm kidding. <laughs> you could get matching tattoos. I'm totally you kidding. You can get a friendship bracelet. You know, there's all kinds of ways you can express this to a child. But like, you know, to, to have them be able to hold that internal concept of you while you're gone is what they're asking for a meeting. I have a lot of girlfriends who have toddlers, Sabrina's age. I made them because of Sabrina. And they want to have another child, but they don't want to deal with the separation anxiety again. Is there anything you can do to set up your infant for success? Well, so, you know, I think, again, we just want to kind of clarify what's normal, typical, healthy separation anxiety and what's kind of more chronic, right? So, if you have the kind of child who's just a sensitive kid who always has, you know, some emotion around separation, but recovers well enough, you know, um, in a couple minutes, that's okay. If you have a kid who's kind of really chronically having a tough time of separation, there may be things that you can adjust in the parent-child relationship that really um, sets her up better for those inevitable moments of separation, whether she's going to sleep, going to school, or you're leaving the house or whatever it is. And so you do want to have that long view. Even if you're a parent of a baby, you want to be thinking ahead to when your child is going to inevitably be more independent from you and how well prepared will she be really to be more independent from you. And so the way that you can do that is that throughout the course of any day, you know, your child will have all kinds of things that she'll be upset about or have feelings about and, and things like this. Coming back to this idea of attunement, how well are you attuning to your child's need for closeness and space even when she's having big feelings? And here's, again, where it can get very confusing because the assumption would be that if your child is expressing distress or upset feelings, that that means you should come forward and offer comfort. That is not necessarily the case. It again, depends on your child's age and developmental stage and personality to some extent, but really read your child. So like, I'll just share an example from one of my own um, toddler classes. I have things that toddlers can climb on in the middle of the room while moms are sitting in a circle, you know, on the outside of that. And inevitably, you know, as kids are learning to climb, they're a little bit clumsy and they're not really agile yet. So they might take a little bit of a tumble. I don't have anything you could actually get hurt on. But when that child takes a tumble, almost always the very first thing that happens is they look at mommy. So 
if that mommy immediately goes, oh my gosh, are you okay? And rushes in with comfort, nine times out of 10, that child will start to cry after mommy said, are you okay? Let me come and help you. Um, if that parent instead waits and watches and communicates through her eye contact, I saw that, I saw that happen. That may actually be enough attunement for your child to pick himself up, dust himself off and carry on playing if he didn't seriously hurt himself. So how you read your child is really so important in the whole attachment equation because if your you can you can inadvertently sort of condition your child that they need you every time they're upset. Yeah. It's not a bad thing, it's not a conscious thing that that most people would do, but it's it's an inadvertent thing that some parents can find that they have done through, you know, just their own sense of really what is being a loving parent. So if you can take a closer look at what your child is actually asking for, and again, as they're growing, don't necessarily assume that you need to come forward, come forward, come forward with every single signal of, you know, upset that the, the attunement may be just presence, just eye contact just words from across the room, you know, a verbal way of attunement would be mommy saw that you were climbing and you fell. So just the reflection back verbally of what happened, that the narrative of what happened might be attunement enough. Absolutely. You know, in part one of our series, we, you know, I asked a lot of practical questions. And so I'm wondering now, if you could talk a little bit about the spiritual side of separation anxiety. Well, it's interesting because a lot of attachment theory is predicated upon this idea of how we are identifying what a, what a self is. So if you are identifying a self as your physicality and your personality structure and your thoughts and your feelings, then that is all true, but it's not the only thing that's true. We are that and, and more. We are much more. We are, some would call it spirit, some would call it awareness, some would call it consciousness, um, some would call it presence. It doesn't really matter what word you put on it, but we are bigger than our bodies, our personalities, our wants and needs, our desires, our fears. And that's actually the place that you want to keep pointing your child back to as they grow. And babies are born very much in that space. You can't spend time around a baby and not understand that that baby is connected to something much, 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 much bigger than it's self. <laughs> um, that's part of why we all feel such a heart opening and expansion in the company and presence of babies and, and children, um, because they're remembering something that we've forgotten. So we all knew this as kids. We all knew there was a lot more to all of this life experience than just our 
ourselves. Um, and if you can kind of uh, come at this from a both and um, perspective where, you know, we can't only live there because that's not, um, that's not going to make you very functional on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> oh, come but on. Let's go up you... to Big Sur. <laughs> uh, we'll live on a commune. All... Yes. You know, the, you don't want to hang out in the ethers all the time, but it's fun to, it's fun to be there, but you can, <laughs> you can bring your, um, physicality, your emotions, your psychology into that presence. And if you can remember that you are more than yourself and you can remember that your child is more than their self, that what ultimately truly deeply connects all of us is this presence or awareness, then you will save yourself so much time and energy um, trying to navigate uh, the boundaries of the self. Not that there isn't still work to do there when you know that this presence is, you know, the truer and deeper part of, of who and what you are. Um, but it really does a lot of the work for you in a way in, in terms of, you know, this is the ultimate connection. The ultimate truth is we are never separate. You know, and quantum science can now really measure this, that the energy fields around anything overlap with energy fields around any other thing or person or, you know, whatever it is. So science can, can back this up now. Science and spirituality are finding more and more uh, in common than, than ever. And that's very exciting. So are you saying that when I drop my daughter off at preschool, and I am suddenly home alone for the first time all day, uh, I can sort of, I can think to myself or feel into the idea that we are not actually separate right now. Is that a sort of a practical application to the spiritual side of this? And, and, you know, if you have a spiritual orientation and that resonates for you, great. Um, Another way that you could tap into that would simply be to return to this, this knowing that, you know, whatever we love is with us all the time. So by virtue of the fact that you're thinking of your child and, and feeling love for her, she's with you and you're with her. And that absolutely goes both ways. So, you know, there there is an, an actual literal sense that someone can have that you are, you know, sending them love, if you want to call it that, um, or sending them positive, um, thinking about them positively. That, that can feel very real for someone on the receiving end of that. And so it's a much better choice if you're thinking of your child at home to be um, imagining how well she's doing and how much you love her and, you know, maybe some of the things that you'll be doing when you, when you reconnect later in the day, then, oh my God, is she okay? I wonder if she's okay. What if she's not okay? You know, that it's again, very understandable that mommies especially worry this way, but, um, your, your trust in her and your love of her and focusing on that 
will feel very nourishing to both of you. That's gorgeous. If a mother knows that she has attachment issues herself or that this is bringing up a lot in her, what can a mom do to, to soothe that in herself or to reparent herself? You mentioned mindfulness. Is there anything else that a mother can do? Well, I think it starts with something very simple, but very essential, which is acknowledgement. Acknowledgement that relationship with your child from an emotional standpoint may be hard for you. And that's a very, very difficult thing for a mother to acknowledge and admit because there's so much mythology out there about what a mother is and should be. And the idea that you have vulnerability on this piece as a mother um, isn't something that most would be comfortable acknowledging, but it must be acknowledged because it's true if it is <laughs> for you. Yeah. And if it's really there to, to not acknowledge it and to try to rise above it, get around it, transcend it, take the class, read the book, um, you know, anything but actually deal with that pain, meaning, you know, face it, you're going to find yourself spinning wheels and you're going to find yourself constantly sort of befuddled about this whole separation attachment dance. And I'll jump in there to say that if you don't figure it out now, when you have a grandchild, it's all going to come up again. Well, you know, yeah, what you, what you avoid will chase you. <laughs> what you avoid will chase you until you acknowledge it. And that could take generations. And so we've all inherited sort of a family legacy of lots of things, including the patterns in relationship and how comfortable we are with, with closeness and space, with intimacy and more independence. And um, the degree to which a family can comfortably allow the comings and goings emotionally of each other is usually the sign of, you know, a healthy family, um, a family that, you know, where there's a lot of reactivity and taking it personally around the comings and goings emotionally that, you know, a parent would, would feel rejected by a child's um, a decision not to seek that parent for comfort or that a, a parent would feel rejected by a child's choice not to give a hug or, you know, it can express in big and small ways. Um, and the reactivity that may follow that or a parent's um, difficulty even coming into intimacy. You know, if you have, you had an experience in your own family of not feeling safe in intimacy um, and closeness, and here is this child now that you have who's with you 24-7, that could feel so intense for you and actually take you into neurological distress. Yeah. So I mean, my mom, it, I mean, I, it, I can say this because I joke about it all the time with her, that like if, if, if someone gives my mom a hug, if I give her a hug and it lasts more than 30 seconds, like she'll break out in hives. And so I feel like I've spent my life um, – my husband says that I'm – I – that I don't like to get hugs, but I really like to give hugs. And it's in my own life, it's kind of presented itself like I really like chasing after the affection. Um, 
And, but once it's turned on me, oh, I love that I even use the, that, that sounds so ominous. Once the affection is turned on me, because that's sort of how it feels sometimes, that that's an uncomfortable place for me. When I get, again, another sort of ominous phrase coming to mind is like, when I'm blindsided by <laughs> someone's affection for me, that can be a scary thing. And it's, it's interesting because it's almost that I'm recreating that pattern in our family where I'm the one seeking the affection. Yeah. And that makes total sense because that puts you in the driver's seat. So Mm -hmm. if you had an experience as a child where you didn't feel able to signal to your parent what you needed and have that signal responded to in the way that you wanted and needed it responded to, then that can um, cause you to, uh, want to control things a little bit more, um, as an adult in relationship with intimacy. So really all we're talking about is regulation. So there's something that's challenging for you about regulating affection that's coming toward you and you, you want more control there. So it's like, that's a great example of noticing a pattern, you know, hopefully not judging it, making it mean that you're good or bad or right or wrong, or somebody else is good or bad or right or wrong. Although you may have feelings about, you know, the threads that you see back to your own childhood and that's okay. And then, um, you know, whatever works for you in terms of mindfulness, spirituality, meditation, um, seeking the help of a professional to get to the bottom of this, talking to a trusted friend, maybe your partner or spouse, but somehow working through and acknowledging what's coming up for you about this. And the more clarity that you have about the pattern and the more, even more importantly, the more you're allowing the feelings around it to be there without making it something that has to go into the parent-child relationship. Um, the, the more you will feel comfortable in your own skin as a parent yourself. And the more you can feel comfortable in your own skin as a parent, the less baggage your child then has to carry in terms of her feeling responsible for you. That's so helpful. That's great. I, and I feel, I'll like pat myself on the back for half a second. Cause I rarely do it. Uh, I feel like so far Sabrina's only two and a half, but she feels zero responsibility for me. And I'm so, uh, it makes me so happy. <laughs> that is a huge achievement. That is because what you've given her is all kinds of energy to spend elsewhere, to spend creatively, to pursue her interests, to be in her imagination, to, just be in life without having something dragging her down and weighing her down and distracting her from life. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Jen. I can't believe you gave us two episodes. You're the best. Uh, You're so generous in your time and uh, with your wisdom. We appreciate it. Well, it's more than my pleasure. And thank you again for having me. Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms.